Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on Israel News Talk Radio. Com. Keep the computer here the whole day. Anything Jewish, everything Jewish, everything Israel. And healthy about Israel is to be found here. Um, so today we are, this is the Sabbath, uh, Shabbat Chazan, it is called. Um, this is the Sabbath before Tisha B'Av. I must tell you, for those of you who are new to Jewish learning, um, just exploring your birthright to our holy, t- our holy Torah, our holy Mesorah, our tradition. Tisha B'Av was always one of those things that kind of always remained in the background as I was growing up. And we didn't really know what it was. I didn't even know anything about the temples. What temples? Temple seems to be so, <laughs> forgive me, Goyish, not Jewish. We have synagogues, we have shuls, we have shtiblachs. Need I go on? Heavy on the cha. And yet, and so for many years, because I had committed to observant Judaism, I would go through the moments of Tisha B'Av. I knew it was a fast day. I knew it commemorated the destructions of our holy temples, the first temples, and then 70 years later, the, sec- the second temple. I know that it talks about all of the. What meaning could Tisha B'Av have to us today? And this is what we're going to explore because is it even relevant? And um, spoiler alert, yeah, very relevant, perhaps more relevant than ever. Let's have our very quick romper room moment because we have a wonderful audience of friends listening in, really. Hands across the nations. We have our listeners from the U.S. Um, Israel, Bokatoveretz Israel. It's going to be a scorcher today. Canada is with us again. I always get warm and fuzzy when I hear that Canada is with us. Brazil. We don't get too often from South America. So thank you, Brazil. Poland is with us today. New Zealand. Australia is with us. The Netherlands. Nigeria. We have listeners today. Holy listeners from um, the Islamic Republic of Iran, and of course we have Poland. And I happen to know, I don't know why it's not showing up, but I know that my buddy, Austin, is listening in from South America. So, uh, South Africa, pardon me. Okay, so to get back to this Shabbos, this shaky Shabbos, and talking about Tisha B'Av, I must share something with you to preface my attitude towards Tisha B'Av. Several years ago, maybe about five years ago, um, I went to a reading, a Tisha B'Av reading of Echa. Echa is the book of lamentations that we read on the night of Tisha B'Av as we begin our fast. And I was sitting with a bunch of strangers. We were it was the, it's called Yamin Moshe. It was, um, I believe it was the first, the first enclave built outside of the walls of the old city for Jews. And anybody who knows differently, correct me if I'm wrong, 
Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. But I was in Yamina Moshe at a beautiful, underneath the famous Montefiore windmill. So many people, no one I knew. We were sitting on the ground is where we sit as we mourn on Tisha B'Av. It was dark, but there were lights all around. People had flashlights with them. And we were overlooking the walls of the old city. I had, let's see, if I, if I first observed Tisha B'Av, I would say is possibly, I don't know, 1981. For the first time, as the words of Echa, and I say it deliberately with strength and with a heavy accent on the Ech. In a minute, I'll explain. Suddenly, the words on the pages entered my soul. They talked about the barrenness, our estrangement from God, our estrangement from one another, what we lost, which was far more than real estate, our literal abandonment at the time as the smoldering temple still, the ember still simmered. And why, for the first time, is suddenly I find myself crying? We don't greet each other on Tisha B'Av, perhaps a nod, we acknowledge, but greetings denote warmth. Greetings denote expectations. It is the Jewish National Day of Mourning. And as I walked out of Echa that evening, wearing my plastic flip-flops, we do not wear leather on our feet, I felt changed. I felt altered. I felt frightened. And yet somehow I felt clean and awash with the responsibility the feeling that perhaps, just perhaps, we could make it our last Tisha B'Av. It was many years ago, five years ago, six years ago. Obviously, it wasn't our last Tisha B'Av. Nevertheless, I never thought to ask, why is the book called Echa? What does Echa mean? And so I looked it up. I mean, I know what Ech. We use the word Ech when we say, how, how, how did this happen? Ech Zekara. Ech. And I only found out this morning in conversation with my holy husband. I said to him, where, where does the word Echa come from? Is, is it connected to Ech, which I use every day, you know? <laughs> How do the tomatoes look like this? And he reminded me that the first time we hear the word Echa is when Hashem speaks to Adam HaRishon, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. And he says to him, how are you hiding from me? How is it that you think I don't see you? Echa. 
And that is, how can we hide from God and we can't? A friend of mine asked me just yesterday, came over, we had our diet lunches together. And she said, what do you tell somebody who still lives in Galut? Really? Their reasons are real. They have children. They have parents. No. Can I be so insensitive? Can I not understand and be impassioned? Did I not myself struggle? Did I not even whisper, whisper, think at times of going back? I say this, and as we enter Tishabab, we have to remember that for every one of us who is still living in Galut, and I'm not even talking about my criticism. There are those of us who are in an Israeli Galut, a Galut mentality. Galut is diaspora, a diaspora. Every one of us who is living outside of the Holy Land of Israel for possibly wonderful personal reasons, perhaps even nationalistic reasons. We're working for the Jewish agency. We're working on spreading Judaism, Yiddishkeit. Regardless, we were spit out of the land. This Tisha B'Av, this commemoration, this reading of the Book of Lamentations of Echa reminds us that the diaspora is not a reward. It is not an option. It is the scarlet D. The reminder, the, physic, the physicalization that we no longer merited our holy land and we indeed were spit out. So I would ask, that even if you can't pick up and come to Israel now, if you can't open up your portfolio, you can't do any of that stuff now, at least cancel the contractors, cancel the painters, don't put up new wallpaper, don't resod it. Our because, because it's temporary. It was supposed to be temporary. It is a badge of shame. So um, that's what I ask. When we come back after our break, we're going to talk about what the famous Zionist leader, Zev Jabotinsky, had to say about um, leaving the comforts of our flesh pots. We'll talk Chair on Israel News Talk Radio.com. I apologize. We're having technical issues, and you know what? <laughs> 
it's Andrea's technical issues. It's definitely not Israel News Talk Radio. Um, I don't think I'm sophisticated enough for the platform. I'm trying, I'm trying. I pray, especially this Erev Tisha B'Av, that you all have patience with me. Um, I'm not sure where we left off, but if I may, I would say this. Um, oh, I think I just found. I think I just found my technical problem. No, I didn't. Okay, uh, before the break, I was telling you that a friend and, a, and I were yesterday having our lunch together, and she just made Aliyah and um, came to Israel. Aliyah is coming home to Israel, literally rising up to come home coming up home, not down home. And she said to me, well, what would you tell? You know, she, she, she was waxing a little bit embarrassed that it had taken her so long since she's been talking about it her entire life. But she said, you know, what do I say to people who tell me I would love to make Aliyah, I'd like to come home, but I have parents here, I have children. And I was saying that it would be callous. It would be rude. It would be insensitive. And you know what? It would be exceptionally un-Jewish if I were to say, let them do the right thing, come home. That's it. There are no excuses. We have our reasons. We're given free choice. But I would just remind everyone listening in from wherever you're listening in, from your holy homes, from your holy workplaces, where wherever you are is indeed a holy makom space plot. I would say to you that living outside the land is indeed, it is a sign, it is a reminder, it is a badge of shame that we were spit out of our land. When we sit down to read Echa and feel the Ech, feel the how and maybe follow to the why and then say, what can I do? But understand that we have an opportunity to come home because when the third temple will be rebuilt, it will not be rebuilt in Cincinnati or in Moscow or in Paris or in Rio de Janeiro. The third temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And if it really feels so distant, how can, how can I relate to this? A temple, what do I need a temple for? I've got a really nice shul, a beautiful synagogue. I learned Gemara with a very nice um, chavrusa, a group of men or women that I learned with. I tell you. We've really created the base Hamikdash on earth, the holy temple in our space. If that's where we are, then you know what? The Galut, the diaspora, has actually entered our bloodstream. It is under our skin. I want to read you the words of Ze'ev Jabotinsky. Can I even use his <laughs> other name? Ze'ev Vladimir Jabotinsky. He was the holy Zionist leader. Look him up. And if you can't find him, you don't know how to Google, write me a note, Andrea, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Send me a little information on Jabotinsky. Heroes are born every day. 
and we've even had them in our generation. So just to give you a little background, very little background, he was a he was a Zionist. He was the founder of the revisionist movement and Beitar. And I, I didn't know this about Jabotinsky, that he actually came from a very liberal background and had very little Jewish education. He was born in Odessa uh, in 1880. But anyway, he could smell, he smelled the fires of Europe before they even lit the match. And here is an excerpt, it's a very small piece. And this is a speech he made in Warsaw, Warsaw, Poland, on Tisha B'Av. The year was 1938. And I quote, it is for three years that I have been calling on you, Jews of Poland, the glory of world Jewry with an appeal. I have been ceaselessly warning you that the catastrophe is coming closer. My hair has turned white and I have aged in these years because my heart is bleeding for you, dear brothers and sisters. Do not see the volcano, which will soon begin to spurt out the fire of destruction. I see a terrifying sight. The time is short in which one can be saved. I know you do not see because you are bothered and rushing about with everyday worries. Listen to my remarks at the 12th hour. For God's sake, may each one save his life while there is still time and time is short. I want to say one more thing to you on this day of the ninth of Av. Those who will succeed and escape from the catastrophe will merit a moment of great Jewish joy, the rebirth and rise of a Jewish state. I do not know if I will earn that. My son, yes, I believe in this just as I am sure that tomorrow morning the sun will shine once again. I believe this with total faith. Zev Jabotinsky, as I said, my friend said to me, what do you tell someone who knows making Aliyah, who knows coming to Israel is the right thing, but has a hundred reasons not to do it? And I say, to be a hero in our own lifetime, to do the right thing. The word for correct, right, accurate, is sodek, coming from the word sedek, sadi kuf, sedek, sadi kuf, oh, sadi dalek kuf, sorry, correct. There is only one opposite. There aren't shades of gray. There's not a little correct, more correct. There's accurate and inaccurate. Pick up, come home, make it hard. The only things that are wonderful and really worth living for are those that took effort, a stand. We may not have swashbucklers among us, but we have heroes that set examples. And if our parents cannot do it, children lead the way or parents lead the way or grandchildren lead the way. Let those who remain behind be 
at least able to point a finger and say, my holy grandchild, my holy grandma did the right thing and led the way. We will keep the home fires burning and keep it warm. But you too, heed, hear my words. I'll send you the speech. We weren't talking about Poland. Poland was the example. We're talking about America, South America, Canada, Europe, Africa. The fires are burning. Take a moment from your busy day and assess. And even if the only result is a deep, deep sigh, as the Chafetz Chaim said, it is something. Okay, a quick, wow, time is racing. <laughs> it's very good when you're not technologically advanced. Type, time races by. Let's give the major. I have several woohoo stories. This is my favorite. An Ethiopian immigrant. You know that I have, I just love all things African, I must tell you, okay? Um, my children married South Africans. I married a South African. I have visited many times. And our country, our blessed Israel, is filled with people from the continent of Africa. And here's a story about an Ethiopian immigrant who went from being a shepherd to one of the world's top head surgeons. I believe his, he's still finishing up his residency in, in Canada, and he's coming back. After making Aliyah, his name is Mero Geta. His dream was very simple, to heal people, be a good doctor, and simultaneously be a good dad and husband. He was born, I'm racing because we only have two minutes. Dr. Geta was born in Gandhar, Ethiopia, in 1983 to a family of 13. He tended family's livestock. He didn't go to school until he was eight years old. They lived in a small village, and his family, like all the other families in the village, earned a living through husbandry. I guess that's animal care. He didn't go to school until he was eight. He only really went to school once he landed in Israel. And what was his focus? His whole life was to make sure that no animal um, escaped. He landed in Beersheba. He went to high school. He served in the army. And his dreams of becoming a doctor were sparked by his father, who had been a traditional healer in Ethiopia. So he was used to seeing people coming to their home and ask for remedies. Anyway, everything is possible. Someone who could have said, what do you expect from me? Look at my life. I didn't have a chance. You know, I had nothing. Talk about poverty. Let's talk about um, Dr. Met, Dr. Geta. Anyway. Through Israel, he was able to, he got a great scholarship and um, he went, so as it says, he went through the Impact Scholarship Program that was established from Friends of the IDF 20 years ago and we expect to see him doing great things. Another woohoo moment in Eretz Israel. Guess what, friends? I'll see you on the other side. Israel News Talk Radio. You know, 
I have to say I'm so grateful <laughs> because an audience comes back and I know I sometimes say things that are not convenient. Um, what was it? I think it was Al Gore who wrote a book, The Inconvenient Truth. I think he hijacked it, hijacked it from Judaism. We have a lot of things in Judaism that don't feel so convenient, but they are correct, they are accurate, and understand. I feel corny saying this, but I really am your friend. And I hope the feeling is at least slightly mutual. Okay, so very powerful, powerful stuff this week. We are going into the Torah portion of Devorim. And, oh, my computer is making noise. Why is it making noise? I told you, this is a very real show. We do the real stuff here. Hold on, let me, ha, let's mute this sucker. We got that. Okay, and let's mute this. Good, we're muted. Here we go. All right, so in the, uh, the, the Torah portion of Devorim, we reflect upon the factors. What was it? Is this just a story? Was it a spontaneous I guess, spontaneous implosions, spontaneous explosion of factors that led to the destruction of both temples and the subsequent exiles. So the sages, or we say Chazal, they say, why was the first Mikdash destroyed? Remembering from our learning together, Mikdash is the tabernacle. And that's because during its period, there were three sins, idolatry, immorality, and bloodshed. But regarding the period of the second Mikdash, we know they were duly warned. They studied Torah. They performed mitzvot, the commandments, and they did kind deeds for one another. So why was it destroyed? Quite simply, and yet so complex, there was baseless hatred among them. The famous term in Hebrew, sinas chinam. This teaches us that baseless hatred is equivalent to those three sins, the aforementioned sins of idolatry, immorality, and bloodshed. You know, the statement regarding that second destruction is particularly noteworthy. A generation that was benevolent, did kindnesses for one another, was at the same time guilty of this terrible, terrible avera sin. Can kindness and hatred coexist? Apparently it can. Take for example, this is a, a nice example I came across, a man who performs kindnesses in abundance. He's <laughs> Joe Helpful of the neighborhood. He, <clears throat> excuse me, involves him, I have to take a sip, forgive me. Mm. <clears throat> Coffee grinds. Okay. He is the, you know, he's involved in a whole bunch of noble endeavors, a picture of benevolence in his community. And so until someone questions the correctness of his approach in all or some of his benevolent work, rather than appreciate perhaps the corrective criticism, the man is offended and concerned that maybe his own ideas and goals will be thwarted or impeded. Suddenly, this flesh and blood human being who's the embodiment of giving 
becomes filled with anger and resentment. It begins to bubble to the surface until one who was previously the picture of kindness and compassion, he's actually venting hatred towards his fellow Jew. You know, another example is the person who's the champion of chesed, benevolence in his community. And it gets him a lot of glory, a lot of admiration. And the day comes when someone else who is equally as capable who wants to participate in making the world a better place, joins him in his efforts and shares a little bit of the spotlight. The first man feels that his partner has stolen some half of his glory that's rightfully his. And suddenly resentment bubbles to the surface. In both of these examples, the chesed, the goodness, the kindness that's being performed suddenly is lacking in motive. It's lacking in its intent. One who performs kindnesses for others because it is God's will that a Jew seeks to help his fellow man cannot possibly experience these feelings of guilt. Apparently though, however, what I just kind of illustrated was rife during the period of the second destruction. There's a saying I have frequently quoted from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev that this Shabbos is a day when we are presented with a vision of the future third temple, even though we see it indeed from a great distance. I wish I could say it were different because I could actually see the old city from my Jerusalem window, but that's not what we're talking about. We're led to understand the connection between the vision of the Haftorah and the Sedra, Sedra is the, the, um, the reading of the portion of the Torah, which are always read together on the Shabbos preceding Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. With Devarim, this week's portion, begins the second Torah, Moshe's recapitulation of the Torah. The whole book, this whole book that's coming up, differs from the other four books of the Chumash in being addressed to this generation that's about to enter the Holy Land. They needed counsel and caveat in a way that the previous generation didn't. The people who traveled in the wilderness, they knew the divine. They had seen God on Sinai. But the succeeding generation, already touched by their responsibilities in the physical world, they lost that immediacy. They heard Hashem, mm -mm -mm, but they didn't see him. They were addressed in the words, and now Yisrael, listen. What do we get from this? The difference between seeing and hearing is that someone who witnesses an event is unshakable in his testimony. He's seen it with his own eyes. But one who hears about an event, he may eventually entertain doubts. Hearing, as powerful as it may be, you'll never guess what I heard from my girlfriend. You'll never guess what I heard from the Rebbe. But it doesn't confer certainty. That's why the generation who are about to enter Eretz Yisrael, who heard but did not see Hashem, they had to be commanded 
about self-sacrifice and similar, a warning which would have actually been superfluous to the people in the wilderness. In one way, nevertheless, to reach something unattained by their fathers who were told, you have not as yet come to rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given to you. Shiloh and Yerushalayim were reached only by that later generation, the generation that had not seen, but only by their descent into material concerns, the translation of God's will into practical action, could the fulfillment be reached of the rest and the inheritance. In short, Devarim, this Parsha, tells us of the paradox as though descent comes, oh, that through descent, sorry, comes a real uplifting. You can't go high unless you can smell and taste the low. The highest achievements of the spirit are one in earthly and not in the heavenly realms. And this is also the message of the vision. Even though this Haftorah is read in the nine days of mourning for the loss of the temples, nevertheless, the exile that resulted, because of that exile, because of that geula, only through the diaspora and coming home, the vision of which we glimpse in the very moment of our loss, it's there for all of us. Okay, so I want to, yeah, I want to talk to you a final word, a tishaba of reminder. I get this from Rabbi Avraham Torsky of Blessed Memory. He recounts, no, you know what? Stop a second. Stop, Andrea. Okay, <laughs> I'm going back a minute. I'm going to go back a minute. The Mishkan, the tabernacle, lasted for hundreds of years in the uh, in the desert and at Shiloh in the land of Israel, but eventually it disappeared. The first temple stood for 410 years, but it too became ruins. The second temple, built by Herod, was splendorous. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. 420 years, destroyed, disappeared. It's not the physical structure of buildings that has preserved the Jewish people until our very day, no, my friends. It's rather the Torah, its values, its commandments, its worldview, its systems of life that have enabled the Jewish people to survive and eventually prosper and rebuild themselves. Rabbi Avraham Tversky recounts the story of one Hasidic master who could not be couldn't be distracted from his incessant weeping on the night of Tisha B'Av, and whose Hasidim, they were actually frightened that this deep, profound mourning is going to cause his soul to depart from his body. They were really petrified he was going to die. They therefore called an extremely resourceful member of their group, of their Hevra, to try to draw the rabbi out of his deep, deep mourning. What does he do? 
the chassid entered the rabbi's study and said, yeah, I could see the rabbi is crying because the sanctuary was burned to the ground. Well, you could stop crying right now. True, the building is gone, but the real estate is worth every cent. Let us weep what was lost, but let's not despair. Let's make the possibility. No, let's make it a probability by building that third temple together, building it in love, caring, respect, brick by brick, mitzvah by mitzvah, indeed, kindness by kindness. The world is filled of genuinely nice, kind people who want good, want better. If you can't find one, be one. One small act of kindness. God doesn't make it difficult for us to get into his good graces. He wants us to soar. He wants us to succeed. Indeed, we were created with Selim and perhaps, just perhaps, this will be the last Tishabab where we mourn only to become a day of rejoicing. The choice is ours. Shabbat Shalom from Jerusalem. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Israel News Talk Radio.